sermon in the new series today, uh, which I've entitled Rich Through His Poverty. And uh, the series that we want to look at is we want to see what the Bible teaches us under the New Covenant about um, prosperity. Um, is it for the Christian today? Can the Christian expect God to prosper them financially? Um, what does the scripture actually say under the New Covenant? Because there is controversy that has arisen in the church in that the prosperity gospel as such has been taken to the extreme and in that sense has almost been blasphemed. Um, and so we just need to bring the balance because there are those who then would say on the other side of the coin, well then God doesn't really want us to prosper at all. And we wanted to see what the Bible actually does teach us about the subject so that we can have um, a, a, a biblical foundation for our Christian lifestyle in this particular area, the area of our finances. Because again, the Bible teaches us that the just shall live by faith. And we can only um, exercise faith in that which we believe. And so if we have a confused view of what the scripture does say on this particular subject, well then we're not going to really appropriate uh, the blessing of God as he intended us to appropriate with regards to the subject of um, financial prosperity. And so we want to have a look at, in today's teaching, we want to have a look at the fact that God is able to make his children prosper, that um, we'll, we'll see in the scripture quite clearly. And uh, very few of the, of the saints would actually argue against that point. Most saints would uh, agree 100% that God is certainly able to make his saints prosper. Um, but then we also want to look at the fact that what the scripture says about the fact, uh, is it the will of God? that his saints in fact do prosper financially and this whole teaching we're doing in this series is on finances um, because it's that area that is an area of controversy and we want to get a biblical background uh, grounding for it but it also with it go uh, in a similar manner when it comes to healing for arguments like there are very few saints if any who would argue that God cannot heal every saint basically believes God can heal but when you speak to certain saints, you find out that a lot of the saints actually don't really know whether it is the will of God to heal them or not. And so this kind of, uh, this area of confusion also arises in the area of prosperity. A lot of saints are not sure, is it God's will that I should prosper or shouldn't I prosper or how much should I prosper? And so what we want to do is just try and get a, a good biblical uh, grounding uh, from the New Testament primarily as to what God says on the subject so that we can in this area apply our faith um, to this particular area of, of our lives. For so it's a very important part of our lives. And so the scripture we'll open up with today is Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 through to 33. This is our Lord teaching pretty much on the subject. And he says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor do they reap, uh, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value of more value than they? 
Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And so our Lord Jesus is just painting a picture for us in this passage of what our Heavenly Father is like. And the fact is that God the Father takes care of all of his creation. And our Lord points us to the birds of the air and to the flowers in the field. And he, he says, you know, God looks after the birds of the air. Will he not take care of his own children? God clothes the, uh, the grass in the field. Will he not clothe you? And he does the comparative between what God does in the, the grass of the field in comparison to what Solomon had. And Solomon's wealth was extreme. Um, well, he was very wealthy. And God said, in, uh, our Lord Jesus said, uh, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like the grass of the field. And yet our Heavenly Father um, looks after even his creation from that point of view. And so our Lord is saying to us that God, our Father, takes care of all of the needs of his children. He is well able to take care of the needs of his children, just like he takes care of his entire creation. And so we're seeing a picture coming through already from what our Lord is saying to us is that we're not to be concerned about these issues. Now, again, our Lord is not saying that God will make us rich like Solomon. What our Lord is saying is that God will take care of all of our needs. And then he looks at creation. He says, look at creation, how the Father takes care of their needs. Will he not much more take care of your needs? And so very clearly our Lord is saying to us that God our Father knows what our needs are and he takes care of those needs. And that's why our Lord says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. The things are the things that we need in this life in order to live. God our Father will take care of those needs. And we see another scripture in um, the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Scripture says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And so this, this passage of scripture in context, if you read it, it's dealing specifically with finances. And so this is what the, the Holy Spirit is saying, is that in the area of finances, God is able to make all grace abound toward us. Now the result of God making His grace abound toward us is that we, as His children, as His saints, will have always always, not some of the time, always have all sufficiency in all things and in abundance for every good work. So this is clearly the will of the Lord. God would not make known to his church that he's able to do this because that's what he's saying to us. He said, I'm able to make all grace abound to you, that you will always have all sufficiency in all things and in abundance for every good work. Now, God would not say that to us as, uh, and then not make that available to us. Uh, God is not unjust in this. And so when God says to us that he's able to do this, 
then we need to realize that that is then the will of the Lord because God would not make that known to us and it not be His will that at all times we have all of our needs taken care of and not only our needs taken care of but that we have more than enough to supply the needs of others. That is the uh, almost perfect will of God for His children in this area, the area of finances. He doesn't. He, it's not the will of the Lord that we should lack at any time um, of any of our needs and not have, have sufficient to meet the needs of others. But again, there is a balance, and we're going to get into the balance as we go through this teaching. But nevertheless, um, God is able to do this. Now, the way that He does this, because the Scripture says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you can have all your needs met at all times and have an abundance for every good work. So how does God make His uh, grace um, abound to us in this area so that we can have our needs met in this area? I'm talking about our financial needs needs being met. Again, this whole teaching is about our financial needs. Well, we can now go back and look at the Old Covenant because the Old Covenant does give us examples, types, um, that we can look at as to how God actually took care of the saints under the Old Covenant. And I know that a lot of Christians say, well, wait a minute, that's under the Old Covenant, how can you look at that under the New? Well, again, the, under the New, the Bible says very plainly that that which was written for us under the Old is written for our example and the admonition. So we can go back and we can look at them, see how God dealt with them, and we can then expect God to deal like that with us in under the New Covenant. For from the goodness of God point of view, there's no difference. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a huge difference between the new and old covenant. But with regards to the physical, there's no difference. Um, God had said to the children of Israel, "You guys obey my commandments." Um, paraphrasing, I'll take sickness away from the midst of you, and the number of your days you will fulfill. And so it was the will of the Lord for the children of Israel that they never got sick and that they lived out their full lives on the earth. Um, yeah, our Lord also uh, made provision for them to live uh, in prosperity, and we're going to go through some examples along that line. Bring that over into the New Covenant, it's exactly the same. By His stripes we were healed. He Himself uh, bore our sicknesses and carried away our diseases. And he, uh, he who, though He was rich, yet for our sakes He was made poor, so that we through His poverty might be made rich. And so, under the New Covenant, God also looks after our physical needs. And so, it is the will of the Lord for His saints under the New Covenant, is that we don't get sick and we live out our full days. And it is also His will that we live in prosperity. I'm not saying in, I'm not saying in um, being complete millionaires and that type of That's again taking the prosperity gospel to the extreme. The prosperity that our Lord is speaking about, is having all of our needs met all of the time and having sufficient to supply the needs of others. That is the prosperity kind of that uh, is available to the saints under the New Covenant. So let's have a look at some examples under the Old Covenant about just how God did, in fact did take care of the needs of His saints and God will then apply those same principles under the New Covenant as well. The principle remains the same. With regards to uh, sickness and disease, if we walk in love under the new covenant, we can expect God to keep us from sickness and disease because that's the, the commandment we keep. Under the old covenant, they didn't have the commandment of love. They had the commandment, the Ten Commandments. They had to keep those. But if we keep the commandment of love, we can expect God to keep sickness and disease away from us 
because that's, that's his promise to us. And we can also expect him to prosper us financially. So the first example we want to have a look at is Joseph. Because I want to do the, the examples we want to look at is would, would be examples that we can then bring across to modern day living and we can apply it in our lives and see how God, because we're wanting to understand how God makes all grace abound to us in this area so that we can have all uh, sufficiency in all things and an abundance for every good work. The first example is in Genesis 39 verse 1 to 4. The scripture says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him, bought him, sorry, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. Now, in, in context, obviously Joseph had been sold into slavery, and that was God. God had, was testing, you've got to read the book of Psalms, uh, the Bible says that the word of the Lord was testing Joseph, because God had uh, great things planned for Joseph, and we all know the story about Joseph. But in order for Joseph to get to that place, Joseph had to be tested. And so he was tested, and even as a slave, um, God still was with him, even though God had initiated that he would be sold into slavery. It seems like a harsh thing, but that is the, the path that God chose to take Joseph through so that he could test him, um, to, that he would be worthy of the calling that God actually had for him uh, later on in life. But the point that we want to bring across here is that as a slave, Joseph was God gave Joseph favor in the eyes of Potiphar. Now, Joseph wasn't a lazy slave. Joseph was a diligent slave. Joseph served uh, diligently as unto the Lord. And in doing that, God gave him favor with his employer. So in today's terminology, we don't have slaves and masters anymore. We have employers and employees. And so that's exactly what God is able to do for us under the new covenant in today's terminology is that if we are employees, we serve diligently as unto the Lord. In doing that, and we can then trust God, that He would then give us favor with our employers. And in God giving us favor with our employers, we will see that we will have above average increases coming our way. There will be promotions in the workplace that takes place. And so exactly as God promoted um, Joseph, from his, uh, he came in as just a, a normal slave, and he eventually became uh, in charge of Potiphar's entire household, and Potiphar was a very wealthy man. And so God promoted him, even in his slavery condition. And so that's one of the ways that God makes all grace abound toward us, so that we always have all sufficiency in all things, and an abundance for every good work. Um, but even those who are not employed and those who are seeking employment, God is able to grant favor in this area as well. Another example we can look at is in Exodus chapter 2, verse 15 to 21. Scripture says, When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. 
And they came and drew water and were filled and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to roll their father, he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, Where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave him Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. And so here we have a case of Moses at the age of 40 years old, sitting without a job. He's unemployed. He was the son of Pharaoh. Uh, God had impressed upon his heart that God was going to use him to deliver Israel. Moses misses it because he assumes that God's going to use him in his position as uh, of authority in, uh, in Egypt to deliver Israel. It wasn't God's way and it wasn't God's time. And so, you know, things went horribly wrong for Moses and he had to flee Egypt. He goes into the land of Midian and so there he is. He's out in the middle of the desert and he has nothing because he had to leave everything behind. He fled Egypt. Um, I think he has a staff with him maybe. But that's as much as he has. But what, is ha what happens is that God makes a way for him to find employment. Um, and God gives him favor with a role who is able to employ him. Moses serves him faithfully and eventually Moses marries the, the boss's daughter. So, you know, that's again the favor of God that is bestowed upon his saints. When his saints are still uh, walking as they ought to walk, because in this case Moses helped them, uh, Raul's daughters, he didn't, uh, you know, did it, he didn't do that with any ulterior motives. He was doing what he could do with what was available to him, helping people. And in doing that, God was able to give him favor with his new father-in-law, and he was thus gainfully employed. And so again, we see God making all grace abound toward Moses, so that Moses had sufficient for his needs and an abundance for every good work. Another example we can look at in Scripture, and that is in Genesis 30, verse 32-34, because not everybody uh, is called by the Lord to work for another employer. Some, someone in the, uh, in the kingdom of God called by God to run their own business as, and be employers themselves. And so here's an example of how God gives grace in this area as well. Um, the scripture says, For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now when shall I also provide for my own house? So he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And these shall be my wages." So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come, when the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, Oh, that were according to your word. Here the background. Here's Jacob's been working for Laban for quite a number of years. Um, as a, an employee, and uh, the Lord had blessed Laban. Laban recognized that the Lord had blessed him, just like Potiphar recognized 
that he was blessed because of Joseph. Laban recognized that he was blessed because of Jacob. Um, but now Jacob says, wait a minute, you know, I've worked for you long enough, now I want to start my own business, basically. Um, and what happened is, is that God gave Jacob favor with Laban in that Laban provided the start of capital for Jacob to start his own business. So we're farming business, obviously. Um, but Jacob didn't have any capital of his own. He had no, no livestock of his own to start. And so he, he makes this business proposal to, to Laban. And Laban looks at it because obviously what had happened was that there were very few speckled and spotted sheep in Laban's flocks. And so Laban reckoned in the natural, well, you know, if this is what he wants, let me give this to him because, you know, it's, it's minuscule and it's not going to amount to anything. But nevertheless, the point that I wanted to get across here is that God gave Jacob favor in the eyes of Laban, his employer, who then provided startup capital for Jacob to start his own business. And so this is another area where God makes all grace abound toward us so that we always have all sufficiency in all things and an abundance for every good work. We're looking at the different ways that God prospers his saints um, in this area of, of our finances. Now, another way that God does prosper us uh, in this area is that he gives us creative ideas that we can then utilize in order to prosper and to, to be blessed financially. And again, we'll look at the example of Jacob, and we'll go back to Genesis chapter 30, verse 40 and 43, or 243. Scripture says, Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the street and all the brown of the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. And so we see very clearly that Jacob had a business strategy, a very strange one, um, in that he, he, well, half in the natural, half supernatural, obviously, because the supernatural side was that he, he would put these um, um, rods before the livestock, and the rods were streaked and spotted, and when they conceived, they would, uh, con uh, the lambs that came out with, would be streaked and spotted. That's how God had, uh, or danger would happen. But Jacob's part was he decided when he would do it. So Jacob knew who was the weak and which was the stronger of the flocks. And so when he saw the stronger were going to make, that's when he would put those rods in. When the weaker were going to make, he left the rods out. Um, and he did what he could, and then God did what his, his side of it. And we know that it was God who gave Jacob this idea, because we pick it up again in Genesis 31, 10 to 12. The scripture says, and it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream and behold, the rams which leapt upon the flocks were streaked, speckled and gray spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, speckled and gray spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. 
And so we see that the idea came from God. God gave this idea to Jacob in a dream. And Jacob then went ahead and implemented that idea. It was a business idea that the Lord gave to Jacob. Uh, a very strange business idea, but nevertheless one that actually proved to be uh, very successful because the scripture says that he became exceedingly prosperous, had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. And it started off just from those, those few lambs that he was able to, that Laban had given to him as startup capital for his business. But once he had the, that startup capital, he gained favor from Laban in that area. God then gave him favor once again in that God gave him a supernatural dream to show him how to prosper his business. He implemented that as led by the Holy Spirit and the Lord blessed him abundantly. And so again, we're just seeing God at work in all of this. God making all grace abound towards his saints so that they always have all sufficiency in all things and in abundance for every good work. And, you know, those who are already, who come into the kingdom of God and are already prosperous financially, God is able to sustain that prosperity and even grow that prosperity. Genesis 24:35, the scripture says, Then the Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. And this is Abraham's servant speaking about Abraham, his master. And so God prospered Abraham. We know that Abraham was very wealthy. Um, And God just continued to prosper Abraham. He just got blessed year after year after year and increased in wealth. And and so even those who come into the kingdom of God as wealthy believers, and there are people who are very rich who get born again. God does the impossible and brings them in. God is able to continue to prosper them and grow them uh, financially. And God has no problem with his saints being rich. What he does have a problem with is them being covetous. And so when he sees that covetousness is, is starting to creep in, well, then the blessing is cut. But as long as the saint is you know, humble before the Lord, the Lord has no problem in blessing his saints. Because, again, that last part of that Corinthians passage we read, and an abundance for every good work because God wants to bless and he uses his saints to bless others. But it's only those saints who recognize that God blesses them and attaches their faith to that and are able then to appropriate the blessing of God from the point of view of saying, God, you have said in your word that you will make all grace abound toward me in this area and then believing God will do that and that's exactly what God does. And then those saints can then be a blessing unto others. But there are also instances in the saints' lives where they lose everything. From time to time, this does happen. We don't know always why it does happen. I'm not talking about when the saint is foolish in their own um, way they behave. Or I'm not talking about when the, the saint sells everything to go into the ministry. Remember, our Lord did say to a number of his, his disciples, go and sell everything give to the poor and come and follow me. So that's not the scenario I'm talking about. I'm talking about a Job scenario. Um, Because in Job's case, our Lord said about Job that he was blameless. And so when our Lord said he was blameless, it means that there was nothing really that we can see uh, in Scripture that um, Job did to cause what happened to him. But nevertheless, it did. He lost everything. But look at how God restored him. Job 42, verse 10 to 12. The scripture says, 
And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord, go, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. And so that was, if you go back and look at the picture of Job, our Lord had blessed him with double that which he originally had. But the Lord started him off with this, in that all of his family and acquaintances took up a collection for him, and they gave him a piece of silver and a ring of gold. And with that started, because Job had nothing, Job had lost it all. And with that collection that the Lord uh, took up for him, Job was once again able to start all over again. And the Lord blessed him exceedingly abundantly above all that he could have asked or thought. And that's how uh, God blessed Job in that instance. Um, and so, you know, from losing everything to starting up all over again, that's how God made all grace abound towards Job. And that's how God makes all grace abound towards uh, us today. Now, there are also cases where God does supply um, the needs of the saints in a very spectacular manner. So it's not always a case that God uses other individuals to be a blessing financially, but that is the majority of the time. God uses other individuals to... Um, he gives us grace with others around us that are able to bless us financially in whatever way. And we've seen the examples so far. But in this case over here, and there are other instances in the scriptures, uh, we just see a supernatural provision coming from God. And we'll pick it up in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 through to 7. The scripture says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in your house. And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you, and your sons, then pour it into all the vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought her the, the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go and sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. And so here we see a very supernatural uh, occurrence taking place, God providing supernaturally for this woman, um, to the point where she was able to pay off all of her debt and can continue living for the rest of her life. That's how much uh, the Lord had blessed her in this, on this occasion. Now we come over just into the New Testament and we see on numerous occasions our Lord blessing exceedingly abundantly above what people could have asked or thought. Uh, the wedding of Cana, that gift was roughly about 150,000 rand worth of wine if you go do the calculation. Um, when the Lord gave the catch of fish to his disciples that time, 
well, on more than one occasion, but the one occasion it worked out to roughly about 60,000 rands that catch. And so, you know, God is extravagant when he does bless. That's just, again, another um, point to show us that it is certainly the will of the Lord to prosper his saints. It's not his will that we should not prosper. Again, if there's any inkling of covetousness, then that prosperity will not materialize. But if the saint is humble before God, then God is quite willing to prosper his saints. And so we go back to that passage of scripture in Matthew um, uh, chapter 6, 31 to 33, our Lord speaking. He says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, I want us to look at this in the context of a natural father, earthly father now, and his children. If we were in the earth today, if there was a natural earthly father who was extremely wealthy, and I'm talking about mega wealth now, and his children were suffering need, and he knew of their needs, and he did not provide for their needs, well, the, the world would kind of frown upon, uh, upon that earthly father. I'm not talking about children now who are squandering their wealth and who are, you know, you, know, you do get rich kids who really you know, don't deserve too much. But I'm talking about children who are, you know, humble and are, you know, going about their lives as, as best they know how. And their earthly father, and they're struggling financially for whatever reason. And their earthly father is Mr. Super Rich in the earth, and he does not help them out. Well, even the world would look upon that person and say, you know, that is a cruel man, um, that he doesn't help out his children. And so we have a father, our heavenly father, who owns everything. This whole earth belongs to God. And so nothing is not uh, his. All things are his. And so for his, his children, and again, I'm talking about his children who are living righteous lifestyles before the Lord, because that's what our Lord says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, one of the, the criteria is obviously we have to be in the kingdom of God. And that's how we come in. We're part of the family. God is our father. But seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness means that we're living righteous lifestyles. We're seeking to please our heavenly father. Now, in that instance... If God the Father were not to supply all of our need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus, well then something would be wrong on whose part? If, if it was God who was, who was saying, no, I'm just not going to meet your needs, I'm not going to help you. Well, we would say God's unjust, we would say He's cruel, and we, there would be um, questions that would be asked about the character of God. Because He has the resources most definitely to supply the needs of His saints, those who are living righteously before him, and if he were not to supply their need, well then we would be able to question the, the righteousness of God, the justness of God. And God himself, in 1 Timothy 5, 8, has, has, has said that if any man will not provide for his household, he is worse than an unbeliever. He's not talking about one who cannot provide, he's talking about who, one who has the ability to provide, but chooses not to. He's worse than an unbeliever. And so God our Father has the ability to provide. And if he were to choose not to provide, well then, God would be a hypocrite, would he not? Because he says to us, we're not to go down that road. And if, we, if he tells us not to do that to our own earthly children, how much more is he not to do that to his heavenly children? 
And so, you know, it is almost an insult to God to say to him, God, you're actually not willing to supply all of my need because God certainly is willing to do that. And we need to recognize that. We need to understand that God, not only is God able to make all grace abound toward us so that we always have all sufficiency in all things and abundance for every good work, but God is willing to do that for us. Because again, as I said, a, a lot of Christians are quite comfortable with the fact that God is able, yes, but not too sure whether God is willing. Well, again, as I say, that's a bit of an insult to God because He most certainly, as a loving Father, a good God, is willing to supply the needs of His saints. I'm talking about His saints who are not walking in covetousness, who are not walking um, in a lifestyle that is you know, pretty much out there. We're talking about saints that are, are diligently serving the Lord. They have every right to believe that their Father will take care of their every need. And 2 Corinthians 8 9 talks about uh, what our Lord Jesus Christ did for us in this area. Again, just showing us what the will of the Father is for us in this area. 2 Corinthians 8 9, the scripture said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, in context, again, this passage is talking about financial riches in this life. Now, I know that that also has uh, eternal uh, uh, ramifications as well, in that we do uh, receive riches for eternity from God. And we have no idea what those riches are. That's uh, God's domain. But in context, when you read the passage of Scripture, the Lord is talking about this life here. And so it is in this life that Jesus became poor. Jesus owned nothing. Um, when he was on the earth and they said to him, you know, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. He said that you know, birds of the air have nests and the foxes have, have dens to go to, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so when our Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross, the only thing he owned were the clothes that he wore. And they cast lots for his clothes and they you know, distributed his clothes. That's all he owned. He owned nothing. And so... As far as our Lord was concerned, in this life, he was what the world would consider to be a poor, homeless man, because that's exactly the case. He had no income in, during his ministry years. That he was, he was unemployed, um, he was homeless, and he owned nothing. And that's pretty much what a, a homeless man is you know, on the earth today. Now, God the Father took care of his every need, and we're going to touch on that as we get into this series. But the point that I want to make here is prior to our Lord coming to the earth and living like that, he had the wealth, wealth of the world, everything. Everything was the Lord's. He had riches beyond anything weak, a, a city of gold. Um, you know, and it, not that God places any store in riches, but the point is, is that what Jesus did is that though he was rich, but for our sakes, he became poor that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Not multimillionaires. doesn't say that. Rich. Rich means a full supply. It means that God takes care of all of our needs all of the time and that we have more than sufficient to help the needs of others. That's where God wants his saints to be living financially. And so, um, you know, when our Lord Jesus Christ came to the earth, he proclaimed the gospel in Luke 7, 22. He says, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, 
the dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And so we see in that passage of scripture where our Lord is saying, guys, I'm here. And what I'm, what I'm, while I'm here, what I'm doing is impacting on the lives right now. Because a blind person could see now. It's not a case of, all right, the Lord's come. Now I'm going to, uh, you will be able to see when you uh, go to heaven one day. No, our Lord laid hands on them. They could see instantly. The lame were walking. The dead were being raised. All of that was taking place in the here and now. And then our Lord tags on to that and he says, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So we say, okay, well, that means God's wanting all the poor to be rich in heaven. There is that aspect to it. But at the same time, God's also saying, whoa, 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 the poor had the gospel preached. You can be made rich in this life. Poor people do not have to be poor. That is, blind people do not have to be blind. Deaf people do not have to be deaf. They can come to the Lord and be healed. They can come to, the poor can come to the Lord and be made rich. Now, it's not a case of when you, a poor person comes to the Lord, he lays hands on them, and they then have their bank account full. That's not how God works. God makes all grace abound toward us so that we can have all sufficiency in all things and an abundance for every good work. And so we've dealt with examples of how God um, moves the poor from the state of poverty into a state of prosperity. And that is for the now, that's in this life. There is the life to come without a doubt. But nevertheless, in this life, it is the will of the Lord that his saints should prosper financially. And again, Philippians 4.19, the scripture says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Again, that is in the context that he's talking about financial prosperity in this life. And it's definitely the will of the Lord that his children should not suffer lack. That his children should in fact prosper in all things. 1 John uh, sorry, 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, the scripture says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And this is the Apostle John who taught us that when we pray, we must pray according to the will of the Father. Because if we do not pray according to His will, God doesn't hear us. That's what John has taught us in the same epistles. So when John prayed for people that they would prosper in all things and be in health, he was praying the perfect will of the Father. It is the perfect will of God our Father that we as His children should prosper in all things. Now to prosper in all things is in all areas of life, including our financial prosperity, so that we may have, have all sufficiency in all things and an abundance for every good work. That is the will of the Lord for His saints. So not only is God able to prosper His children, but it is definitely the will of the Lord under the new covenant to prosper his children. You get a teaching that says the old covenant was material and the new covenant is spiritual. And so, you know, everything that was under the old covenant material, not for the church today. That's not the Bible at all. The new covenant, in all of these passages of scripture we've looked at, in context are all speaking about financial prosperity in the now, right now, at this time. Another scripture we can look at, which again just highlights the truth to us, that God um, wants us to be blessed financially. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, 
that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so here in this passage of Scripture, the Bible is very plain what Jesus has done for us. He's done a lot of things for us. But one of the things our Lord did for us is that he redeemed us from the curse of the law. If you go look at Deuteronomy chapter 28 and read the curse of the law, you will see that all lack and poverty is under the curse of the law. Poverty is a curse. It's not a blessing. There's no, no blessing in it at all. Um, God placed it under the curse. That's, if you go read the account, you will see that's, what, that's, where, that's part of the curse. Now, Christ has redeemed us from that so that we can inherit the blessing of Abraham. We have a look at Abraham's wealth that the Lord blessed him with. Now, not every saint is going to be blessed that, to that degree of financial prosperity. Not every saint needs it. What every saint does need is having all of their needs met at all times and having abundance for every good work. And that is what God is promising His saints that He will do for them if they would believe Him. For the just shall live by faith. And James says it this way, Let him ask in faith, nothing doubting. For he who doubts, and he says, in paraphrase, he who doubts is like the wave of the sea. Let not that man think that he will receive anything from the Lord. And so, unless we believe in our hearts that God wants us to prosper, as I say, most Christians believe God is able to prosper us financially, but not a lot of Christians, not all Christians, believe that God wants them to prosper financially. There's almost like a nervousness there, because, Lord, if you prosper me financially, I'm going to start becoming covetous. Well, our Lord knows what we're capable of, and so He will bless us to that degree that, he, he, he again, He's a very good Father, and He's, a, he's an all-knowing Father. And so, He's not going to bless us with that which is going to take us away from Him. And that's what also James said. He says, you guys, ask and you don't receive. You have not because you ask not. And then again he goes on to say, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. Why? That you may consume it on your lusts. And so when we are coming to the Lord uh, for stuff that we, you know, we really think we need, in actual fact we don't, because let's say, if, oh, I'm going to throw an example out there. Lord, I want a new yacht. Um, and... The Lord knows what's going to happen if He, he blesses us with a, a new yacht. We're going to not go to church on Sunday, we're going to go sailing on Sunday. I'm just an example. And so, no new yacht is forthcoming from the Lord. Now, we might go out and get it ourselves um, and land up in trouble along that line. But the point that I want to get across here is that when we come to God for our needs to be met. It's the genuine stuff that we have to have met every day because we need to be able to have a place to live, we need to have food to eat, we need to have clothing to wear, we need to be taking care of all of our bills. Um, that's the kind of prosperity that the Lord's talking about taking care of and then having an excess over and above that so that we can bless others. That's where the Lord wants all of His saints to walk in. So when I said there's this nervousness, you get saints to say, but what happens if I ask for things that are outside of the will of the Lord? Well, you're not going to get it then, because uh, it is outside of the will of the Lord. But um, we have every right to believe that God our Father will keep, supply all of our need, because He is a good Father, and He's able to take care of us. He's able and He's willing to take care of us. And you know, I trust that in today's teaching, we've really come across. Otherwise, Jesus didn't need to redeem us from the curse of the law. If, if lack and poverty was the will of the Lord for His saints, we were already under that. We were under the curse of the law. Lack and poverty is there. It's, it's written. It's recorded. That's what part of the curse is. 
um, just leave us there if that's the will of the Lord. But that wasn't the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord is that we walk in health. The will of the Lord is that we walk in prosperity. Again, we need to just get the terminology of prosperity right. We'll touch on it as we get into the series as to the biblical aspect of prosperity. And so God is not wanting to bless all of his saints so that they all walk around like Solomon was, the richest man that ever lived. Not at all. That's not the will of the Father. But it is his will that every one of these saints have all of their needs met all of the time and have an abundance for every good work. That is his will. So God is well able to make us prosper and it is the will of the Lord that we should prosper. And we need to believe that. And as we do believe that and as we do believe, as we apply certain principles, because they are principles that have to be applied, we will learn to walk in the prosperity that God has provided for us. Uh, because the Bible says, though he was rich, yet for our sakes, he made himself poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. Um, and I trust that we have dealt with the issue today of the fact that God is able to prosper us and it is his will that we should prosper. Um, and in the next teaching we want to go on and just basically discuss what God's view of prosperity is because I think that's where a lot of confusion does lie. Uh, that's where the prosperity gospel does get taken to the extreme. But we're going to end the teaching on that point today. Amen.